that you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great Hey there, Paisani, and welcome back to your weekly dose of Italian-American heritage, history, and hilarity, the Italian-American podcast. I am your moderator, John Viola, and I am here with two of my partners in crime, the Italian-American Wikipedia, Mr. Patrick O'Boyle, and the Bell of Bensonhurst, Ms. Rosella Rago. And uh, we've been on the road a couple of different events over the past couple of weeks, but this week I am very excited to talk about a trip that I did many, many moons ago when I was the president of the National Italian-American Foundation. It was 2015, I believe, and I was a guest of the Italian embassy in Australia and uh, the extended Italo-Australian community for about two weeks of touring a few of the... Italo or Italo? Uh, that's a great question. Pronunciation was not my strength there. It's like, is it a Niaf or a Niaf? Yeah, I don't know. Is it Italo? We're going to ask our guests when they come on. Uh, I got a couple of questions because all of the accents that I've encountered or been able to kind of pick up, Australian is one that I just can't wrap my tongue around. I always end up sounding like a Russian guy doing a British accent, and it just doesn't. doesn't I mean, I remember when I got there and I had to take a flight to the capital city, which I pronounced Canberra. And they laughed at me and told me it was Canberra. So I'm going to try my best here. It's just not natural for me, but I'll, I don't know if it's Italo or... You know the one thing I don't understand about Australia? Why do they call peppers cas... Cap, they use the Latin name. That I don't understand. I've never heard this before. We're going to ask our guests when we get them on. Did it come into the country through a biology book? It's the only thing <laughs> that I really... This is the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night. Well, this, this is what we're here for. Because all these YouTube people, what do you call these people? The Instagram people. Now you get to see Italian worlds around the world yeah. because of Instagram. Like yeah. I would never have known that they all use this word. And even Italian people use this word. It's really interesting because part of what we set out to do with this platform was to understand not just Italians here in the United States or in Italy, but in this gigantic diaspora around the world. And I, I think you're right, Pat, because of YouTube and because of social media, everybody is so interrelated. So like we've been able to have guests like Joe Avati on from the Italo-Australian community or Giuseppe the MC from the Canadian-Italian community. I guess they'd say Italo-Canadian. Uh, and it really gives you a great opportunity to kind of study the similarities and differences and where people came from in Italy, when they got to these countries, what the immigrant experience was like. Yeah, I never forget, and I probably said this on the show before, when I was there giving a speech, I used the word assimilation. And somebody got up afterwards and said to me, you know, we we shy away from using the word assimilation. We use the word integration. And I thought that was a really interesting difference, but it speaks to the different experiences that immigrant groups have in these countries. And if you look at the Italo or Italo-Australian community, you're talking about a, you know four and a half percent of the Australian population, about a million point one people uh, as of their last census, and you know spread throughout the country. Have been there most cases, I think, since the end of the Second World War. And if I understood correctly, in my time there up until I think it was the 2010 census, Italian was the second most spoken language in Australia. And it's since I suppose been surpassed by Mandarin, but really very fascinating community that I think has an impact on the entirety you know, of uh, that. there was a study done in the 50s 
of second most spoken languages in a country, all the 50 states. And Italian was predominant in a lot of them. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of shocking. Like New Jersey was the last one because then they had a, they had a, um, they kind of had to cater it to the fact that Spanish was so prevalent. So then the question became after English and Spanish, what's the most spoken language in your state? And New Jersey, it's no longer, it's either Chinese or, or some, some Indian language now, Hindi maybe. But up until a few years ago, Tang was the third most spoken foreign language in New Jersey. Wow. Wasn't in New York, Ro. Wasn't in New York. All right. Well, then why did they cut all the uh, Italian programs from all the schools, Patrick? Um, Great question. Well, I think that's another question, too. I think a lot of Italians are like, I think it's better for my kid to learn Mandarin. <laughs> yeah, probably true. We don't invest it as a cultural thing. We're like, what's going to get my kid a better job? Yeah, it's an interesting question, and it's a great one to ask our guests. Let's bring them on, because the way that this uh, episode came about was really interesting. I received an email at the podcast email uh, about a week or so ago from a listener, two listeners actually, in Australia, who told us that they were brother and sister duo who had begun listening to the podcast not that long ago, but it's become, and we're very, very honored to hear this, a, a weekly part of their ritual together as a family. So inspired by the work we're doing here, they have set out to create, and again, I'm, <laughs> I hope we get that pr- pronunciation fast, an Italo or Italo-Australian podcast. Um, similar conversations to the one we're having here, but dedicated to the study of that 1.1 million population over there on that great continental nation known as Australia. So it is a great honor for us to introduce uh, not just loyal listeners, but uh, brother and sister behind this wonderful project, Lucas and Josie Dockwe. So uh, Lucas, Josie, welcome to the Italian American podcast. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having us, John. You know, it's an Italian operation because they keep it in the family. That's absolutely right. Patrick still continues to say that nobody listens to us when we've inspired an entire other podcast on an entire other continent, but nobody's listening. Nobody listens. I know. I'm shocked. God is my witness. I'm shocked. I really am. Yeah, same thing we encountered in uh, in Rosetta. It was amazing to meet so many listeners and have people come up. But, uh, you know, this is what we set out to do, evangelizing. And here we are all the way across the world. It's a 12-hour difference for Lucas and Josie right now. But first and foremost, one of you, please, how will you be pronouncing this new podcast? Okay, Josie? Well, I believe we're going to call it Italian-Australian. We're not going to use the word Italo or Italo. I'd say it's Italo. Um, I'm pretty sure it's Italo over here, but it's really used. It doesn't really feature so much. Oh, that's interesting. But I would say Italo, yes. So you're going to be the Italian-Australian podcast. That's right. Even better. Makes it a lot simpler for all of us over here struggling with the word Italo. Yeah, I, I encountered that when I was over there a couple of times, and it doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. I'm more concerned why they use a bizarre word for pepper. Okay, you ask your question then before we dig in. How do you say that word? Capsicum. Capsicum? That's right. That's got to be – got to figure this out, John. I mean, it's not, I don't think it's an Italian Australian thing, but so be capsicum and potatoes. How would you give me the capsicum in a sentence? Uh, I don't know. My grandmother spent all last week pickling capsicums. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah more or less. Wow. Yeah. I think there's a few other ones as well um, that we do say differently in Australia. Yeah, there's actually, a few. zucchini. Do you guys say zucchini? Yeah, we do. 
Okay. I think it's eggplant, isn't it, Joyce? Isn't it or something? Oh, oh, you guys say aubergine for eggplant, don't you? We say eggplant. So do we. So don't forget, there's also the British. The Brit- they say different things over in the UK Maybe as well. it's British, I think okay. we're a bit of a mix. They're a mix of the Queen's English and then, you know, American English sometimes. And it's, yeah. it's quite a minestrone, a linguistic minestrone, if you will. It is, because I was going to say to you guys, as soon as we start talking, uh, if you don't understand any words, just let us know, because I feel like we use a lot of slang as well in, in Australia. So whenever I'm speaking to somebody from overseas, I always try and be careful to not sort of throw in too much slang because it gets a bit difficult to follow. Yeah. Before we get into the how and why of your new project, what is some Italian-Australian slang? You know, we have words that are sort of ours that the rest of the population in the United States, they probably know them by now, but they're, what, what about you guys? Do you guys have any particular Italian-Australianisms? Italian-Australianisms, there is. is uh, probably similar to you guys as well, where they use words like carro instead of macchina. <laughs> and, you know, just plenty. Actually, I listened to um, the one we had, the Bucker House, and those ones there, obviously we don't have that back house word, but there's plenty of words like that. Um, I found that one really interesting, actually, because there's a lot of words that, We've kind of um, half and half, 50-50 English language and Italian language. Uh, so plenty of those ones, for sure. What about, uh, I think we had this conversation with Giuseppe the MC. In Canada, they call the, let's say, white Anglo-Saxon population. Uh, we would use the word like Medigan. They would say manja cake. What do you call the sort of mainstream British descended population? you have a word for that? We do. I'll just ask, hey, Josie, is that offensive at all? I, I don't really think it is. But um, I have learned it, from other people it that it's mainly just Italians be, that I think it's only Italians that seem to say it. Like, I don't think the Anglo-Saxons kind of say it. So is that... Just say it, Luke. It doesn't matter. It's fine. So basically, they're called skips, um, which I think has some reference. I'm sure like Joel Vardy's used it plenty of times. Some re- reference to Skippy the Bush Kangaroo, yeah. which was like on a TV show, Joe. Is that right? Kind of before our time. Yeah. So kind of, I, I don't really think it's derogatory, but um, it would be called like a skip. That's interesting. That's fascinating. I never knew this. John, you can make a T-shirt now. <laughs> as somebody who is an Italian, they refer to as a wog, right? Yeah, or a ding um, or a wog. I think ding is specifically in Western Australia where we're situated. Uh, wogs over the whole country. But um, the thing is about a wog is a wog is not necessarily just an Italian. It, that's right. it means like a not white person. It means like an ethnic person. So the Lebanese. I think so. Wog, yes. The Italians are wogs. The you know there's a huge Lebanese population. And Greeks there's a lot of Greeks in Australia. You know, Rosella, that's spot on. I think wog is the most fascinating thing. You know, because when Joe Avati, I, I always say Joe Avati was the first Anglo Italo Anglophone. You know, the first Italian person of Italian descent who, who grew up in an Anglophonic country. If you want to throw in there like the UK, the States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, that had a pan Italo Anglophonic presence, right? That we we can all know who Joe Avati is. People in Canada know who he is. We know who he is. And I think the first real incredible concept he brought to the table for an, an Italian American is the concept of WAG. Throwing Greeks, Lebanese, Italians all in the same pot as kind of Mediterranean ethnics. Would that be the right demographic for that? Yeah. Ethnic yeah. people yeah. around the Mediterranean, like Arabs. Absolutely. Greeks, Absolutely. Yeah. That was a completely new concept. Yeah, because one, one, uh, a little while ago, I was talking to this Lebanese guy from, uh, from Australia, you know, 
His parents were born in Lebanon. He was raised in Australia. He's like, oh, he's such a wog. And I'm like, you're a wog too. What are you talking about? <laughs> Don't call me a wog. You're a wog. I'm going to tell my uh, my Lebanese friend that we I, we always felt like we were tied. So here we are. We're classed together in Australia. Yeah, well, I've got a really good best friend that's Iranian, and they use it as well. Well, they call themselves Persian, but they're from Iran, and they they refer to themselves as wogs 100%. Yeah, it's all Southern European, Middle Eastern, Southern European. Um, we're all wogs over here. But think about this as an American, right? What does it say about Australia that they have a coverall word? for Mediterranean ethnics. I can't see Italian-Americans wanting to be in anybody else's boat. I cannot see them saying, oh, yeah, we're all wogs. Yeah, it's interesting. They would want to be represented as Italians. We're only cool, like, being lumped in with the Greeks, I think, here. Because, we, you know, whenever we see a Greek, it's like, eh, una faccio una razza, and we all get along. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, like, if you're a hardcore Italian, your daughter doesn't marry an Italian, eh, but she married a Greek, eh, but that's okay. I find that after many, many years, and I lived up in the Bronx, you know, for college, and I, I also find there's a lot of people coming around to the similarities between Italians and Albanians, too. You know, what, what was once a tense movement in neighborhoods is becoming a lot more sort of like the Italian-Greek relationship. But uh, before we dig into what's going on here, I want to talk about what's going on over there. So, Lucas, you sent me this email. Why don't you tell us a little bit about, first of all, how you guys found our show what inspired you to do this and when you made the decision that you were going to actually pursue this new show? So I kind of stumbled across the podcast, I think it was in December. And because I'm sort of a, like you guys so much into all this sort of stuff, I think I was actually typing in Italian Australian or something very similar to those lines uh, on uh, the podcast app and the Joel Vardy episode popped up. So obviously I listened to that straight away. Big fan of Joel Vardy. Had the pleasure to meet him once um, at an Italian event, maybe 10 or so years ago. And it was an absolute legend. Gave me a bit of his time and got a quick photo and really nice guy. So I listened to that episode and that was kind of, well, you guys had joined by then yourself, Pat and Rosella. So that must've been a couple of years in. And then I kind of um, just went through and listened to some episodes where the title really jumped out at me. And then after I'd listened to maybe 60 or 70, I kind of just went back to the very start and listened in order. And obviously I told my sister Josie and she was on it straight away. So she's listened to the majority as well. And then we kind of thought we have these similar chats all the time about similar sort of stuff, but over here in Australia. So we thought that there might be a lot of people who would find it really interesting. So we had a chat and thought that, um, yeah, with a bit of help from you guys, you might be able to do something that's interesting to hopefully a lot of people in Australia. I've gotten to see a little bit of insight into what you guys plan to do, and we're going to talk about that coming up. I think there's a lot of smarts in it, and I think a lot of passion as well to kind of dig into these ideas on episodes. Uh, Lucas, you mentioned you kind of went and cherry-picked episodes. Which ones stuck out to you from an Italian-Australian perspective as stuff that you might relate to based on the title? Do you, do you have any kind of recollections, either of you, of uh, what topics and conclusions we come to here in, in Italian America are uh, more relatable than others maybe. Yeah, so I think one's like the Kingdom of Two Sicilies and when you guys are talking a lot about the history of things that happened to pre-migration to America, it obviously relates directly to us because back then our family lines were the same as you guys back down in southern Italy or anywhere in Italy really. So that's kind of our history also. Then obviously when the migration starts to happen, it's a little bit Different, I suppose, but you guys may have some ancestors that have gone. I mean, I know not so much Frizella or Dolores, but you guys may have some ancestors that have come a little bit earlier where our lines are still back in Italy. 
but once I've sort of landed on the shores, to some of the things are so relatable and similar, even though being so far away, that it just really struck me. And I'll, you know, give Josie a quick phone call after and say, oh, you know, the guy said this and that's exactly what happens over here. Um, so in terms of episodes, there was so many. There really was um, that really just rung a bell. Um, but definitely any stuff with, you know, the Southern immigration and that was just super interesting us being sort of southern background also yeah i see that in your plans for your show you've got those topics there which i think is really interesting too uh josie if you had to look at the italian australian population today i mean it's changing here obviously but do you see people separating themselves out by their region of origin in italy probably not as much I think a lot of people identify more as Italian. They maybe know they're from the South. I think definitely it depends on where you live. So for, around us, we seem to um, think there's a lot of Calabresi people. So that's definitely one. I think there's a lot of mixed people as well, which kind of makes it mm. like yourself, John, with a lot of different backgrounds. I know um, I actually the highlight of the episodes is when Pat sort of picks on you for um, you know, really sticking with the Sicilian roots. But I suppose there is a lot of us over here, even us, if we go a little bit further back in the family lines. I mean, we have four different regions. Um, so a lot of people over here kind of might be, you know, half upper Cersei, half Sicilian, that sort of thing. So the lines get a bit blurred as well. Yeah, it's really interesting because I think it, it speaks directly to kind of when your family came to the United States, at least, uh, you know, how your ancestors then kind of married. You know, I have my dad's side although we've found that they travel a lot in italy so we have more regions but you know they, they came from towns next to each other they were an arranged marriage and then my mom's side was you know very controversial a sicilian and a barres and it was just a very different thing and i think that that's uh way older immigration that kind of uh, leads to those those things at least in my mind i, I don't want to be to the canadians and the australians i gotta i gotta push i have to positions the right way but had the u.s not had such draconian immigration laws in 1922 a lot of the people that went to canada and australia would have came to the u.s yeah just because they had the migration chains right so if you're from like rosetto pennsylvania right rosetto has a lot of people in toronto they would have gone to ohio or pennsylvania had it not been for the u.s's draconian 1922 immigration laws 24. that forced people 24 i'm sorry john 24 yeah. that forced people to go to canada and australia as, because, I mean, remember, too, back in those days, I, um, a Bizan on my grandmother's side from Piano di Sorrento, we have a colony in Melbourne. And he said to me, he goes, when I left Italy in 1950, whatever, he goes, it took me 30 days on a boat to get to Australia. Yeah, that's right. Australia was so far away then. Yeah. You know, and I think that we we spurned different Italo-Anglophonic communities. So we're kind of like the mother immigration community because we have Italians coming in the 1860s, 1870s when Australia is not even a dominion yet. Yeah. You know, and, and, and nor is Canada. And then I think we, we, it's, it's, it's funny, the interaction, the intermix between our, our migration and how our American reaction to migration helped Canada and Australia bring in Italians because they did so much good for the countries they went into. Think about all that the Italian Canadians did for Canada and the Italian Australians did for Australia in, in every aspect. Definitely. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I think that there's an incredible impact. I've certainly felt it in my time there. I felt that uh, in my time in the Italian community in Australia, the sense was that, and again, it leads to like the assimilation versus integration. It was a very integrated community that was part of Australia's mosaic and got a lot of um, recognition for its contributions, also its cultural contributions. I got to visit the place where the first espresso machine ever came to uh, Australia. That was really interesting. Do you guys feel that that, first of all, is the case, that the community is pretty well integrated? And secondly, is it leading to a uh, reduction in self-identification? I think yes and yes, actually. And this is something that Luke and I have talked about. Um, We've heard you say many times, John, that um, about you said the word assimilated and somebody in Australia said to you integrated rather than assimilated is what we have. Um, but Lucas and I feel that there's a lot of traditions that are held on to um, much more tightly in America than we have in Australia. I would agree. Well, see, I actually disagree, honestly. Uh, so I've never been to Australia, but um, my second largest demographic for Cooking with Nona and my online store is the country of Australia. And I, I like, if there's anything that I that I notice about the um, Italian community in Australia is that they're more traditional. I mean, maybe this is because it's a newer immigration than us, but like you'll in Australia, you'll find way more people that make their own wine and still jar the tomatoes and still do this. I, I find it's much it's a little bit stronger. Don't, don't hate me. I, I don't agree with you, Ro. I'll tell you why. Australia and Canada now have very strong hands because they had a huge immigration after the war. They had a big, big demographic that came after the war. And they have a lot of people from Calabria. And Calabria is a very rural region, rural uh, yeah, region of Italy. They, they, they were more, um, I don't want to say remote, but they held on to more stuff. I think if you say right now, sure, there's more, there's, it's a more immigrant community in that area because they're not as diluted because we have immigration going back to the 1870s. But I think long game, they will integrate much faster than we did because we were so separated for so long. Because I think when they came, they were there was an easier integration. And I see it's like the, the, the semantics is so difficult. Like if you take, I had a nun in school, right? This is back in the 1990s, early 1990s. And she was an Irish nun. She, when she found out my mother was Italian, she was like stunned. It was like an intermarriage. Like it was like a, an interracial intermarriage, right? I don't think they have those old prejudices that we do here that kind of like it's like a competing football club between nationalities. I don't think it's as pronounced there as it was here. And I think that kind of isolation made us a little bit more nationalistic, in my opinion. Now, that doesn't mean you're talking about passing on traditions. I don't know if that equivocates to passing on traditions because, yes, 
Canada and Australia are much more traditional as far as things like jarring tomatoes than we are. But I wonder how it's going to play out in self-identity. Let's ask Josie. Josie, how did you mean that? Like, what, what were you referring to and are Pat and Rosella onto something? Yes, and what Pat just said, that's exactly what Luke and I have said as well, that we definitely feel that it's because of the later immigration that then people yeah, integrated that bit that bit quicker and people coming earlier into America, exactly what Pat said, a lot more separate and held on to things, I guess, didn't integrate as much. Definitely we enjoy all of our traditions over here still, but, yeah, pretty much exactly what Pat said. There you go, just in terms of self-identity. Um, like I said, a lot of people I don't feel really hold on to their regions as tightly. They'll talk about Italian food and certain things, but it's not in that um, like strict sense that you might find in other places. What about younger generations? I mean, if you have a if you have a more recent immigrant population, it's natural to think that they and their children will be maintaining a lot of traditions that maybe their grandchildren won't. What are you guys seeing in younger? You're you're our generation. Uh, what do you see in the generation up and coming? So I would say um, I agree with Pat 1,000%. Um, what he just said a few moments ago, I feel that's exactly the case. I don't know if it's dramatic to say we're at a crossroads, but I feel the next generation down is really going to be key, uh, whether things do get passed down or not. I mean, I really don't want to be negative and say no, but I mean, this is one of the goals of the podcast. I, I mean, we're so invested in this sort of thing to see our grandparents immigrate and struggle and all that sort of stuff and just to let it, you know, sort of see it go to the wayside. I can't remember how you guys word it exactly, but we don't want to, um, is it when you guys always talk about like preserving it, obviously we want to kind of move forward and you can't, um, I'm not trying to, I'm articulating it. How you guys say sometimes, if you want to try and preserve exactly like it is, it's not going to move forward. So I understand we need to sort of preserve it as much as we can, but also move into the future with it. Yeah, you have to let these things evolve. Yeah, it's a hard one. I mean, I feel we're at that crossroads at the generations now where most people here, like you said, our generation are predominantly second generation. So we've still got the grandparents. In our case, we've got a mother who's Italian-born. But the next generation down, obviously one more step removed again. And just with things changing and the way that things are over here, I'm skeptical to how many traditions actually will be passed down. Do you guys see any localized Italian-Australian traditions that we might not have? Like, uh, what, what are the sort of things that stick out as being fundamentally different? By that, I mean, like, you know, we have developed here in the United States a lot of, you know, the, the Feast of the Seven Fishes is a very American concept of how we treat Christmas Eve. Do you guys have any very particularly Italian-Australian uh, unique traditions? No, not that I've, not that I've heard so far. Um that's one thing I've really enjoyed hearing about on the podcast and some episodes that have really stood out for me are things that I hear about and I think, wow, um, like we don't do that. Definitely Christmas Eve is a big one over here for us, like Midnight Mass, um, having a big celebration on Christmas Eve, then you're even tired on Christmas Day. <laughs> Trying bakalai in 800-degree heat, <laughs> right? Because your Christmas is in the middle of your summer, right? Exactly. So you have all that heavy food. In the middle, like would be like our middle of July. Yeah, but we still pretty much do all the food. Just don't ask Lucas and I about bakala or stockkov. Do you guys have stockkov? Yeah, be sure stock. We had that conversation. No, you don't yeah, like you don't like bakala? <laughs> oh no! Oh, no. I we leave the house last night. When, when it's stockkov time, we we're out of the house. <laughs> this is not not your thing, it's huh? It's a little pungent. No, it's a little. 
Punchington. Do you think we could be a no, long? Literally rolling oh. up the towel to like look under the bedroom door so we can't smell it like as kids. Yeah. When we were wow. too young to leave the house, that's a true story. <laughs> You're just rolling the towels up to block it out of your and room. Getting in the room and no air coming in. Hiding in the room. What, did you feel different from your classmates and compatriots with, with things like that? Yes. Uh, not so much. I mean, well, I'm not sure, Josie. I feel like I had a lot more Italians in my actual year at school, but we do have a lot of Italians, like Italian-Australians, I should say. So, I mean, majority of Yeah, but you knew my... who you, they were. You knew who all the Italian kids were in your class and you knew that that was different to the mainstream. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, no, that's probably true. Who of you is older? Me. You're the older sibling. Yeah. So she generally ends up being right. <laughs> that sounds great. I'm the oldest too. I'll take it. Did you? Uh, who of you then, growing up, clung more to your heritage? Good question. Mm. I'll, let, I'll I'll let you go, Josie. So I'll see if I can outsmart you after your answer. Wow, I love that. Uh, I don't know. I think we both did. Maybe me a little bit more, but then you later. I reckon. Yeah, I think that's fair. Different times. It sort of comes and goes in terms of how much you relate. Yeah, I think, um, well, Josie, you went to Italy a couple of times before I ever did, and I really got interested to, to go from hearing your stories when you came back and sort of just saying to me, like, you have to go, you got to go meet all the family and all that sort of thing. So I'd say you early days for sure, and then after I started to go, it was kind of level. I think it's much – another factor we don't, we don't realize is that if you – and Mariana Gatto in Los Angeles brought this to my attention, really, that if you're on the U.S. East Coast, Boston, Philly, New York – Baltimore, you're what, seven, eight hour plane trip from Italy? Yeah. Right? But if now you go to Los Angeles, it's a fourteen hour trip. And if you go to Australia, right, that's that's Australia Italy is what, twenty four hours? Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. It's a much more expensive trip to take. Yeah. And it's much longer. That gives us a little bit of advantage on the on the US East Coast. Especially like people have said like the, the British Italians. I think it was Lil Mendel said to us that the British Italians really are so much more Italian because in two or three hours, they're in Italy. They would go back constantly, their kids, on weekends and stuff like that. It's like us going to Florida. That's true. I think that has, that has a lot of factor in it as well. I think Joe Vardy said that as well. I always thought, like, so I'm from Maldivari, and um, my, I have a, there are a lot of Molesi in a part of Australia called Griffith, mm-hmm. which is like the, the boondocks of Australia, I've heard. It's like by where the yellowtail farm is. It's a lot of it's a lot of agriculture. Yeah, it's very rural in New South Wales. It's quite far from where we are, but um, yeah, no, that's the one. Right, and like uh, and like this, these families would come to Mola di Bari every summer, and it would be like you know a two day expedition, and then Alitalia loses your luggage, and uh, <laughs> I don't know that I would have gone back if I was from Austria. My parents would have been like, "F this." <laughs> I think that was a big part of it. That's right. It's so far away. I know our Nunnu actually went back, I know once, I think maybe twice on the ship. Like he was so keen to go back and see family. He immigrated in 1952. And I know the first time he went back was definitely on the boat. And I feel like it might've been a couple of times actually. So that's, and I look back at that, that's just a massive commitment, but I show you just how much you miss family. Um, he immigrated obviously, um, well, not obviously, but with our Nonna and our uncle. But obviously had all his parents and family back there. So to do that sort of commitment on a ship for a month a couple of times, or at least once that I know of, is it's crazy. I asked my friend Lucia's mother, like, you know, Maquita lo fa fare. And she would be like, Well, 
I want my daughter to, to know her people and to make friends with people from all over the world. Because, you know, we were this tiny little town in Puglia, but, you know, you'd really go back every summer and meet Molesi from Australia, Molesi from California, Molesi from England. And it was, it's a beautiful thing, but, you know, a stressful thing. And, you know, I think it just speaks to the fact that sometimes staying connected to your roots is work you know, is something that you have yes. to work at it. And I just, I admire the the Italian Australians for really putting in the work and the, and the travel hours. Yes, a hundred percent. And it's sort of these stories that you hear. And that's one of the big reasons why we're trying to do this. Pod- well, I mean, we're going to start the podcast and I mean, I just really don't want it to all kind of fall away and it would almost be like it didn't happen. You know, if things don't get passed down to the next generation, I mean, obviously some things are hard to maintain like the language and, certain traditions but you know the the basic things i feel like really need to be passed down and kids really need to be taught the hardships out there you know might be great grandparents went through but it just doesn't really sit right with me being so invested in it all that it's just going to fall away and almost be like it never happened in a generation or two and i think it'd be such a sad thing to happen well if it's any consolation i mean things always change and evolve obviously but i think we found from our time here that the audience that we thought we would have versus the audience that perhaps we do have as much as we can understand it, you know, qualitatively. Um, we do find a lot of our audience out there is people who are interested in learning new aspects of their heritage that they might not have had in their life or relearning things that they have some vague familiarity with or coming to explore. So I do think that there's a missionary aspect to these kind of shows. And uh, I hope you guys have the same success in reaching out as I, as I hope we have and get those responses too, because you are going to be doing something that's really useful in putting that stuff out there and it stays out there forever. You know, I'm, I, like I said, I got to look through a little bit of your outline for how you guys are going to do this. I had some questions that I thought our audience would find really interesting. Some of the show topics that you sent, and I hope you don't mind me kind of digging into some of them. No, not at all. You mentioned a topic here called Wog Boy Films. That seems completely foreign to us. What what does that mean? Um, Okay, so you guys haven't heard of these films? No, not at all. Oh, okay. Um, Couldn't tell you the year that they came out, but there's been... It was 99. Three? It's been three, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Very, very funny films. Actually goes um, back to the earlier question about the word Wog because the main character is actually Greek and his best friend is Italian. And so the main character, he calls himself the Wog Boy. And then there's just, um, you know, he gets in a bit of trouble. There's a love interest, all that kind of thing. And it just um, just really explores like the experience in Australia for, um, yeah, people that are there's even Vietnamese in that film as well isn't there it? is I was going to say it's kind of um I mean the Asian people are never considered wogs but you know with the um sort of with that Asian aspect as well of the immigrants and you know they face a lot of um difficulties very you know exactly the same as the Italians and the Greeks and the Lebanese so it's kind of um yeah it's got a couple of um those characters in there as well and it's um that, that they were huge films I mean the third one come out actually not too long ago Josie was this it? year yeah, I think the first one was 99. Second one was roughly 10 years later. There's been about 10 years between each of them, I believe. But great film, um, huge, huge over here. Very, very funny. And not just for ethnics, um, for anybody really. Um, yeah, great films. Yeah, give them a watch, honestly. Yeah, I'm going to try. I'm going to see if I can track them down. Um, 
in your Australian media content, these kind of creations that don't necessarily come and translate over here, are there a lot of stereotypes for Italo Australians? You know, are there negative stereotypes like we have to battle sometimes? Yeah, I think pr- pretty much the same. If I remember correctly, um, so the star of the show in The World Boy, he's um, Nick Giannopoulos, and he was part of a group of actors, but I don't know if any of them were Italian. I, they may have all been Greek. And it was it was before my time. I think it was in the 80s maybe. It was called Wogs, Wogs Out of Work. Yeah, yeah Wogs, Wogs Out, out of work. work. Yeah. And so they were, I think, probably all in their 20s. They were unemployed, I guess, wanting to be actors, actresses. And they did this might have been a stage show that launched into Acropolis Now, which was about, I think they were all Greeks in that as well. It was about a um, family-run cafe that was hilarious. And then, yeah, Nick Giannopoulos became famous. And so all of those shows um, are really, in a lighthearted way, they are exploring those stereotypes and definitely looking at some of the negative stereotypes, but without making it too serious. Well said. That's kind of a nice opportunity. I I find that, you know, it's hard to find that balance here in the Italian-American portrayal between looking at stereotypes but not digging into the more treacherous pitfalls of them that we encounter, particularly around, you know, uh, mafia portrayals and things like that. You're also going to talk at some point, it says, about uh, Italian-Australian cuisine. What is specifically Italian-Australian cuisine to you guys? We can definitely answer that one. So our parents had um, quite a famous Italian restaurant in our region, ran from 1982 to, I think, 2018. And I suppose when I was younger, I would have just, you know, because everyone over here, it's funny, like you don't really realise you're Italian-Australian. I think you, you guys have spoken about this sort of stuff, so you go, overseas you're just Italian so the food here is just Italian when I look back now it really was a lot of it was Italian Australian so I suppose I'm nervous to say this stuff in front of Rosella actually um, <laughs> being a foodie, but um, certain things like yes the carbonara did have a little bit of cream in it um, what else Josie there is definitely something I mean obviously like things like chicken parmigiana veal parmigiana beef parmigiana as we all know that's you know not really an Italian origin dish um, by the way, I agree with everything that you guys say about um, the Italians giving you guys a hard time with all the um, food that's, you know, popped up in America or over here. It's its own thing and it's phenomenal as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's definitely dishes like that. Um, some stuff was definitely more on the traditional side. Like we'd have aglio olio and like lasagna and these things like that that are probably, you know, not far off what you'd get in Italy. There was definitely a portion, you know, some of the uh, menu items were Italian Australian, like, you know, like the garlic bread. That's kind of... Yeah, but you- you had to because you had real Australians. I don't know if that's real. You had like waspy Australians, like the Irish English people, who are not going to eat aioli, who are not going to eat bisha stock, who are not going. So you had to make dishes, yeah, that they're willing to eat because you're running a business. You're not running a cultural institute. I've said to people in Italy, Italian American restaurants had to sell stuff that everybody's going to eat because they went to America not as uh, uh, cultural missionaries, but to actually make money. Yeah. So you had, you know, you had to do what we had to do. It's very true. I mean, anybody who, who listens to this show or watches my show knows that my biggest pet peeve is when you like criticize a restaurateur for just trying to keep the lights on by selling some, you know, red calamari. I just think it's like it's the worst thing that Italians do to Italian Americans and Italians abroad everywhere. There's so many things I want to delve into once we start the show because 
So our dad was born here um, to Calabrese parents. Um, but so he's basically started the restaurant, obviously with mum as well. Uh, but straight away, all the people working there were from Italy. I remember um, he had a bit of an older Sicilian lady in the kitchen and my nonna who's from Rome and that sort of stuff. But it was almost like instantly the foods become Italian Australian, even though a lot of the people working at the start and there's other Italian people like off the boat Italians working there as well. So I always wondered how it kind of all of a sudden, like kind of instantly became Italian Australian. Because they're cooking food that they want to sell. Yeah. Like spaghetti with meatballs and all these sort of things. And I know you can find, like Pat always says, like you will find some stuff that you might think is Italian-American or Italian-Australian, then you will find it in a region. But predominantly, things like spaghetti and meatballs together and garlic breads and these sort of things. Um, yeah, it's interesting how it sort of popped up. It's not the food that we're eating at home. It's not. My dad didn't cook the same food that him and, you know, Nonno are cooking at home. He cooked food that they think is, you know, really yeah of course at home you have the real you know pasta for whatever pasta for soul or this sort of stuff um of course yeah what yeah. did you say pasta for wow that's how they say pasta fazul over there yeah no, no, that's, that's, probably, no, that's probably the italian calabria how they say it am i correct yeah yeah it's a, yeah pasta for solo yeah, yeah. Right. that's the calabrese pronunciation pasta chichiri pasta chichiri it's Cheshire yeah, Italian, no? That's what I had to dinner tonight. Oh, definitely. Okay. <laughs> That's what you had tonight. Yeah, I yeah. love that. That sounds good. I, I go for I'm that not massive in those ones, but um, they're very healthy. I mean, my nonna would say, like, you eat as much as you want of that, as much, as much. You can, it doesn't matter. You'll be all right, you know? Like, just <laughs> doesn't matter. There's, there's, no, there's no limits on those dishes. No, that's true. The peasant cuisine that we all brought with us, you really can't overeat that. It's when you start adding, you know, all kinds of, ingredients uh that aren't original to those recipes you start to run into trouble but you know you talk about restaurant dishes and when the cuisine of the italian restaurants in the diaspora starts to become the cuisine of home for certain families too like i had a a family friend that was from italy they owned a bunch of restaurants and catering halls and the father used to tell me that they quickly realized that when you had to make like massive amounts of food for particularly non-Italian audiences, you could cheat by adding, you know, sticks of butter into the sauces and things to make them more palatable. And, and, you know, it wasn't the way they were cooking at home. But in our travels, we've been in a lot of Italian-American homes, families that have been here for multiple generations. And, you know, you do see garlic bread sometimes, and you do see certain recipes that have become the home cooking for a lot of people. So it's, it's a sensitive thing. You know, food means so much to us, and you identify with what's familiar and comforting why can't we just have our own comfort food, you know? We don't need a panel of judges and an academy to tell us what's good comfort food, as long as you're passing along something that means something to you and meant something to those who came before and hopefully will mean something to those who come after you. I think that's the most important thing. Yes. This summer, celebrate Italy and how you, Italian-American with Mediaset Italia, Want to picnic Italiano with your very own exclusive Mediaset Italia wine and cheese picnic pack? Keep listening for how to share your Italian pride and win. What's a picnic Italiano pack? We've got a custom wine tote, mini cheese board and knife set, portable fleece picnic blanket, a wine aerator, a stainless steel tumbler set, a wine opener, and Italy-themed magnetic poetry and wine bottle-shaped stress reliever just for some fun. Entering to win is easy and all on Instagram. 
Snap a pic or tag one of your favorite photos that scream Italian-American, loving Italy, or Italian culture. Post to your Instagram account and use the hashtag iHeartMediasetItalia. Be sure to follow us too at MediasetItaliaUSA. Each week, Mediaset Italia USA will choose a winning photo to receive their exclusive Picnic Italiano prize pack. This contest is open to residents of the continental United States. Visit our post on Instagram at Mediaset Italia USA for more information, terms, and conditions. Now, you guys are not located in the same city anymore. Is that correct? You're in different parts of the country? Yeah. So where is oh, I mean, it's not far away. So I'm in Bunbury, so I'm like 175 kilometers, roughly, roughly south of Perth. So it's not far. It's about like a two-hour car drive. And do you guys get together often? Yeah, we do. We do. We do a fair bit these days. Um, with my work, um, working as a musician, I kind of I am up in the city probably on average, like I don't know, almost every second weekend. I feel like I'm up there a fair bit these days, so I often um, get to catch up with Josie, which is nice because back in the years gone by when I was working in the family business. It was really occasionally, it was, you know, almost six, seven days a week, hard work, and I wouldn't get up to the city much at all. So it would really only be when you would come down, Josie, to visit, which wasn't crazy amounts either. But these days, much more. So it's nice. That's really nice. What area do you find more Italian-Australian? I mean, you're out two hours from the city of Perth. Josie, you're in Perth. Lucas, do you have to go to the city to find certain things, or is there a lot of Italian culture around you? Not at all. Very lucky. So here in Bunbury, I mean, we're actually a city as well. Um, I mean, it's a very small city. I think we've got around 75,000 people. But there's, you know, a lot of Italian restaurants and cafes and a lot of uh, Italian people owning businesses, um, Italian and Italian-Australian. Um, so not so much. But obviously, naturally, if you head up to Perth, there's definitely a larger selection and some really nice Italian restaurants as well. But interesting enough, you will find that a lot of these people, uh, you know, what you call the off-the-boat Italians, We'll be doing cuisine that's probably more Italian-Australian. I've had a chat with a few of these guys, and like we just mentioned, they sort of they cater for what they think that the people will like. So even though you know they've only been here for a few years from Napoli or wherever they're from, they're doing things that you'd see at a family that's been here for a generation or two. Got to go to your audience, I guess. I mean, that is the sort of natural trajectory. Josie, does Perth have a little Italy? No, it doesn't. There's definitely certain suburbs that in years gone by had a lot more Italians living there. Um, and you can, you know, tell by the houses and just with, you know, areas that are known to have more Italians living there. But, yeah, certainly not like a little Italy or anything like that. I only got to visit Canberra, Melbourne and Sydney. And Melbourne and Sydney both had, you know, distinct little Italy neighbourhoods. It was kind of, for me, such a new experience and I obviously don't know Australia was my first time so I remember I think I was in Sydney thinking I could walk not understanding the road system and ended up walking took me like hours to walk from my hotel to the little Italy section and I did it primarily on highways (laughs) I don't know if I got the GPS wrong or whatever it was but I was like walking the side of the highway like a vagrant on my way to uh, see little Italy so it was even more uh, wonderful to make it there because I made it there alive so I felt very very good about that but it's a beautiful, it, they were beautiful communities. So I was really happy to get to spend some time there. Have either of you ever come and spent some time here in the U.S.? Yeah, I've been to America one time. I think it was 2011, around that time. Where did you come? Um, went to L.A., Vegas, New York, 
can't remember. Popped up to Canada for a little bit as well. Hawaii. He went to Hawaii, yeah. Yeah, but really, really enjoyed New York. Ended up staying there for about 10 days. Stayed a bit longer than what we'd planned. Yeah, that might be it. Gosh. Did you get to explore Little Italy at all? Yeah, I did. Yeah. How did you find it? It, it was really enjoyable. I had heard that it's gotten a lot smaller over the years. But, yeah, I still thought it was amazing. I think a problem that with a lot of people from overseas or even outside the New York metro area come to quote unquote Manhattan's Little Italy. It's a commercial restaurant area now. It hasn't been a real Italian neighborhood in the sense of an Italian population living there 20, 30 years. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's the reality. Of it. I mean, I would say the New York's real Little Italy, the healthiest one probably in the whole country is Arthur Avenue in the Bronx when it comes to actual commercial stuff. I think people get a very um, an incorrect impression of the Italian American experience when they go to Manhattan's Little Italy because it's a restaurant. It's it's a it's New York has New York became a, a adult Disney World in the ninth, late nineteen nineties, and I think it's just a fast like okay you're going around Epcot and this is the Italian Pavilion they call it quote, quote, quote unquote Little Italy. Yeah, that's fair. That's a fair criticism. I think Ch- Chinatown is a real much more, but then again, the real Chinatown in New York is in Queens. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. I don't think you guys realize how much of an impact you're going to have because you're going to write, you, you're going to define what Italy Australian is going to be for your generation, or I should say Italian Australian for your generation and the next three. I have gotten so many shocks doing this podcast, but I think the one shock I would never have imagined in a bazillion years was when people say to us, I felt Italian American, but I didn't know. Like I never, I didn't know how I was living Italian American. Like I didn't know how that integrated into my life in the sense that they remembered their grandmother, what we would call the house dress with the bun in her hair and the stockings up to her knee. And they defined in their mind that as being Italian. And because they were walking around with yoga pants and tank tops and, and electric scooters, they didn't understand how that jived with being Italian American. And I think we, uh, multiple people have said to me that we gave them I don't know the confidence or the, the approval to feel that they were Italian American, but that they could be a modern person and still have feel that they were Italian American. And I think because we were able to say it's not a fossilized culture, we're not Amish. So the fact, you know, my grandmother used to wash dresses. I remember my grandmother washing dresses in the sink with a washroom. And I used to say, we have, we have a washing machine. What do you do? She goes, oh, my dresses come out better. <laughs> I like the way they, they come out nice, right? So that's it. That's and my, my grandmother never wore pants. My grandmother never drove a car. There's so many things about my grandmother's generation, but that was that generation. I mean, you could use a washing machine and still be Italian. And I think that what's going to happen is you're going to have intermarriage. You're going to have so many different things that are going to change you, your community, if you want to call it on an, on an Australian national basis. And you're going to do that for Italy Australians, Italian Australians. Like I think we're doing for Italian Americans. If I could be bold enough and have the hubris to say that. Absolutely. I was going to say, it's not just for um, Italian-Americans that you guys have done that because that's definitely one thing that Luke and I have spoken about this year. And I said that to Luke that I really felt now I'm like, yep, you guys have given us that confidence as well. And because that's sort of been something for us as well. Are we Italian? Are we Australian? We don't do this the same as what they do in Italy. And then, yeah, it was only a few months ago. We were like, yep, this is it. We are Italian-Australians. 100%. I mean, 
so many episodes have resonated with me in such a massive way. I'll listen to one and then I'll give Josie a quick call and say, oh, you know, this episode was about this. And, you know, that's just rings true for us in such a massive way. So, yeah, I'd just like to thank you guys again for doing it. Also to Anthony, who no, you don't see a massive amount of these days, and to Dolores as well. I mean, honestly, to start the podcast back in, what was it, 2015? Yeah. And then obviously yeah. you guys to join and give it, you know, a bit of a slightly different flavor and whatnot. Um, it's really an amazing thing that they did back then because, I mean, I couldn't imagine how many people that that sort of sparked their interest and is going to pass something on to the new generation. And Anthony writing that book as well. Um, I know he got a lot of feedback from people just saying how amazing it was and how much it helped them. So just like to thank those guys as well. That's an amazing thing that they started and that you guys are carrying on now. Well, we certainly appreciate that. And I know I can speak for all five of us in saying that we all appreciate it, Dolores and Anthony included, and we'll get that message to them for sure. And uh, I think if we can leave you with anything, I don't know, guys, is, do either of you have any advice for the team that's setting out behind the Italian Australian podcast here? Ro, you got any advice? Don't read the comments. Nobody knows anything. That's true. That's great advice. Yeah. Should I not? You know, I've never read the comments. Should I start reading them? No, no. that's the point. No, just keep doing you. That that's probably, probably the best I'll advice. I'll probably flip out if I read yeah. the comments. Please, you, yeah. You could also do the pad thing, which is don't listen afterwards. Just record it and then leave it, and you know. Yeah. But yeah, that's a great that's a great piece of advice, Ro. Don't read negativity. Embrace positivity. Don't let the positivity. You're gonna be yourself. You. You, yeah. You're gonna have a. You're gonna have um. I never realized I made an off and I, I stand by them. I made comments when we were in Florida for the Italian American Future Leaders Conference, quoting an Italian politician comments they made about Italy. And I was bombarded, John. You were, yeah. Bombarded with all these people from Italy tearing me to shreds from how I looked to what I said to everything. And I said to myself, like, who needs this negative energy, right? But you got to, um, yeah, I, I think, yeah, definitely going to get criticism. And I think also the fact that, you just got to be – I just think you got to be your, – yourself is going to work fine because people are going to smell the tribe on you and that's how they're going to connect. So you're going to have Italy or Australia and say, this is my – they're my people. They get me. And that's how you're going to build a listenership in my opinion. And just be consistent because I think you know there are going to be moments where you really don't feel like it. Like God bless you know John who, who edits these and stuff and really puts – a lot of time into them. It is a lot of work. I mean, I know it sounds it sounds easy today. Every every everybody and their mother has a podcast, but it, they are work. And just keep that in mind. Um, that but you have to keep going. You start this, you got to finish it. Yes, definitely. I mentioned to Josie, I'd like to you know try to you know get up to fifty episodes or so, run it for at least a year, and just keep running with it. And sort of we know it's not going to um you know turn into a massive thing overnight and that sort of thing so we're happy to really just give it a good run and hopefully just inspire some people so i hope i haven't been too negative about it just thinking about a couple of things i might have said before about you know things getting passed down and whatnot but it comes from a passionate position it comes from um me worrying about those things and you know fearing the worst i suppose um seeing kids with all these italian surnames that you know just from a few experiences i've had now which probably isn't the majority but you know you see someone and they couldn't even tell you sort of where the family was from or tell you one thing really. And you just know that someone in that line, probably not too far ago, has done some really hard yards, which I suppose is the flip of the coin. I mean, the immigrants have come here for the better life and to kind of assimilate to some extent. So it's hard to, if that makes sense, I often think about that as well, like how much, you know, our grandparents and et cetera want us to really hang on to these things and think about that sort of stuff. Do they want us to kind of let go and fully embrace being Australian or American and the freedom that comes with that and, 
it's a, yeah, it's a fine line. And that's the that's the whole point of everything we do is that you really can be both, you know, especially in a world like today where you we can have this conversation over a twelve hour time difference over thousands of miles away, and here we are having this conversation now, and it can immediately after some editing be put out into a global audience, and uh, you know we have a healthy population of our audience in Australia too, so they're going to hear this, and you know my great piece of advice, Roe is is spot on. I'd also add, and I've learned this from my time here, but even before and probably more so my time at NIAF, be aware that everybody's version of this is valid. And everybody, whether they relate to it or not, if they have a little inkling of it or a curiosity in it, they're, we're all just as Italian as the next person. And it's about sharing those many different experiences and, and many different versions as much as it is about finding the similarity. So I think you guys are going to do a great job. Obviously, if you've gone back and listened to all 280-some-odd episodes of this show, you have had excellent training uh, in uh, in how to do this, and we'll be here along the ride with you guys for anything that we can add. So I hope our audience out there, obviously those in Australia and those around the diaspora, will wait patiently for this new Italian-Australian podcast. We will certainly be posting it on our show page with all the links as they come up and posting about it on our social media to make sure that we can support this great effort from a wonderful brother and sister team over in uh, in the outback. And uh, hopefully you guys will pick up this show and add it to your podcast list because you can't get enough of this stuff. You're already here listening. Why not add a whole new perspective on this wonderful culture? that we get to be a part of this Italian diaspora around the world. So thank you guys for being here. Thank you, everybody out there, for listening, and we'll see you next week. See that you're born in Italiano, 